Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you again here online on YouTube and Facebook. We are gonna be continuing our series today on what it means to be spiritual, what it means for us to follow after the Spirit of God. And if you were with us last week, you know that our way of answering that question, what does it mean for us to be spiritual people, is to really look for the ways that the Holy Spirit is at work in the book of Acts. That is something that we're gonna to continue to look at today. And so before we jump into the text, I wanna invite you as always just to join with me in a word of prayer. Let's center ourselves, bring our hearts and our minds before God as we read the text together this morning. Would you join me? God, wherever we are, we thank you that you are always at work by your spirit in the world, that you are always going before us and revealing how you are calling us to be a bold and courageous people. We ask today that you would teach us what it means to be emboldened by you for the things that matter in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors and friends and family. We pray that you would open our eyes to see something new today in this text and inspire us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we took a look at Acts chapter 2, and what we talked about was this idea that to be spiritual has many different answers, but one of those answers that we recognize from Acts chapter 2 is that to be spiritual means that we have been given a kind of energy or passion that we can't quite contain. We looked at how in the old prophet Jeremiah that was described as having a fire shut up in his bones and that when we come into contact with the Spirit of God, we tend to have this, this passion or this energy inside of us that we need to do something with. And I said that's part of the answer to what it means to be spiritual. It doesn't have to be anything sort of weird or or embarrassing or, or uh, even strange, just, just this sense that you are being driven to pursue something that is for the common good. And today we see something a little bit similar, but we're going to find a new dimension to this uh, question, what does it mean to be spiritual? And for that, I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible of course, we will put the words up on the screen for you, but we're going to look today at Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 18, and again, as usual, just take a look at a couple of passages here. Acts chapter 4, what's happening here is that Peter and John are before the council in Jerusalem. So just a little background information. Peter and John have gotten into a little bit of trouble because as Jews in the first century in the ancient Near East in Jerusalem, they're preaching about Jesus, and so they're getting into trouble with the, the Jewish council, that is the ruling authorities at that time. They, they're causing trouble by preaching this good news of Jesus, and so they've been dragged before the council. They are basically warned not to do it again. We're going to pick it up there in verse 18. Verse 18 says, so they called them, that is the council in Jerusalem, called Peter and John. Verse 18, so they called them and order them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep speaking, or keep from speaking, rather, 
about what we have seen and heard. That, to me, sounds very similar to what we read last week in Jeremiah and how we saw that Peter, earlier in Acts chapter 2, was compelled to speak about the good things that God had revealed to him, and earlier how Jeremiah was compelled to speak about the good things that God had revealed to him. Here, Peter and John say the same thing. They say, we can't contain this good news, this good information. We can't keep it to ourselves. And so we think we better obey God. That is, we ought to obey what is good and right and true rather than obeying you. And then it says, verse 21, after threatening them again, they let them go. That is, the council let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom his sign of healing had performed was more than 40 years old. In other words, Peter and John had healed this person and the council could find no good reason to hold on to them, but they made sure to threaten them to keep quiet. And that's the first thing that I want to point out to you that I notice about this passage, that there is a threat of some kind brought to John and to Peter to quit proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the good news of God. And I think that is always what happens, that those who want to keep us from spreading the good, liberating news of Jesus will often threaten us, that is, come against us with a sense of fear or intimidation. In fact, fear is really, I think, the first and most primary weapon of those who seek to oppress others. Fear is the tactic that works, whether it's in the ancient Near East and this sort of religious and political council who are trying to preserve power. Therefore, they threaten John and Peter and, and tell them that they have to remain silent. Or fast forward to today and our political climate today, we see that fear continues to be an incredibly powerful tool for trying to get people in line and keep them in line. In fact, I would say that you could go so far as to say that anytime somebody is using threats or fear or intimidation to try to get you to make a particular choice or a particular decision, then you ought to be very suspicious about the goodness or the rightness or the truth of what they are representing because fear is not God's tool of choice. We'll get to that more a little bit later, but I want to pick it up here again a little bit further down the road. After Peter and John have been threatened, I want to pick it up here again in verse, uh, let's go back to about verse 27. It says, for in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you had anointed. Now, this is the believers. We've jumped here midstream into the second part of this particular chapter in Acts chapter 4, where now Peter and John, together with the other disciples, are praying about this threat that has come against them. If you back up a little bit, you see that they're wrestling with this dilemma, what to do about this threat of intimidation that the ruling council in Jerusalem brought against them. And so in this prayer, they're digging up Old Testament scripture. They're going over kind of the recent history of what's been going on with Jesus at that time and in that place. 
And as they're praying to God, they are reminding God of what has happened there. Let's pick it up again here in verse 29. It says this, And now, Lord, again, they're praying to God to help them in this situation. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in your name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And this is the second thing that I notice about this text. That having just come back from receiving a threat by the ruling authorities in their city, what the disciples do, what Peter and John and the other disciples do, is they immediately come to God and they surrender to what God is doing. In fact, there's a great little passage here if you go back with me. It says this in verse 27, after reminding God what had been going on there, it says, uh, to do, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What's happening there when they say that, to do whatever you have planned or predestined to take place. I don't, I don't want you to get all caught up in arguments or debate about predestination and what that means, you know, related to free will and whether or not we are creatures who can make our own decisions or not. That's really not the bigger picture here. The bigger picture is that John and Peter are in a quandary. And they're praying to God, crying out to God, trying to figure out what to do, and asking God to give them boldness. And I think this sentence is a pivotal moment for them, because in it, what they basically say to God is, listen, we need your help in this situation, and what we really need is to know what you have planned, what you have ordained to happen, because that is where we want to go. And this, I think, establishes a really important, essential understanding for Christians to have today. And that is this, that where we go and what we do and what we speak and how we act and how we respond to difficult situations, as much as possible, must come from a place of following where God is already going. That, you could say, is the theme of the entire book of Acts. That the Spirit of God is going in a particular direction. The Spirit of God is doing particular things. And it is the disciples who are learning not to follow their own path, not to necessarily come up with their own agenda, but rather to see and hear and feel and sense and discern what the Spirit of God is doing so that they can go with God's Spirit. We talked about that last week. Jesus saying that the Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes, but you can feel it. And in feeling it, in sensing where the Spirit of God is going, that is where we must go. Now, what I want you to see is that what happens when they pray this prayer is that they essentially give over their own egos. They hand over their own agendas and they submit to where God is leading them by God's Spirit. Now, something really interesting happens there. Everything changes for them in that moment. And I think the symbolic way 
that Scripture signifies that to us is in verse 31 when it says, When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. This image of an earthquake coming and literally shaking the ground is one of those classic images in Scripture that represents the presence of God. Last week we talked about how fire and wind or that pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke often represent the, the presence of God. But earthquakes are another way that symbolize that sort of wild, untamed, powerful presence of God. Here we have it again in this passage. And then something really amazing happens. Their prayer is answered. In verse 31, it says, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The very thing that they were praying for, the very thing that they were lacking, they have been now given because of contact with this spirit that we talked about last week, this passion, this sense of energy that compels us to speak and to act according to God's will. This sense of being bold gives us the idea that whatever fear they had, maybe because of a threat of intimidation, or maybe because of their concerns about what uh, how the crowds might respond to them delivering the gospel of Jesus, or just maybe a fear about uncertainty or, or a fear for maybe being inadequate to the task. Whatever their fears were, whatever their inhibitions were, those have now been taken away because the Spirit of God has given them boldness to do what they were previously afraid to do. You know, when I read this passage, I thought a lot about uh, a young person who was involved here at the Oceanside Sanctuary years ago, even before it was called the Oceanside Sanctuary, back when our name was First Christian Church of Oceanside. My youngest daughter had a friend who was a teenager at high school with her, and this friend was a young trans boy. And this young boy was having a tough time because he was in the midst of transitioning his gender and coming to grips with what it meant to be a boy when he had been born biologically female. And for those of you who know, uh, there is no higher risk category in our world than trans people. They deal with higher rates of suicidal ideation than any other single group. They deal with higher rates of bullying. They deal with higher rates of abuse and hate crimes and a lot of the abuse that they suffer comes at the hands of their family. And this young boy who was friends with my daughter was struggling with his family too because of coming to terms with his own gender identity. And interestingly enough, this young boy came with my daughter for vacation Bible school several years ago here at the church. And I knew that he was transitioning. I knew that he was really struggling with this whole process. Uh, and at home, he was still known by his female name. And his mother really refused to refer to him by his given name and by his chosen pronouns. And that was deeply hurtful, deeply intimidating, and created a lot of fear in him when it came to being around other people. 
Well, he came for vacation Bible school uh, to help us out and to volunteer. And when he came, we did something interesting in the VBS program. We had name badges, and everybody wrote their own sticky name badge and put it on their, their chest, and that's how we knew everybody's name. And he, of course, wrote his name, Nathan, on a badge and put it on his chest. It was the first time I had seen him own that identity as Nathan. And so I looked at him and I looked at the name badge and I said, is that the name that you want to use? And he looked at me and said, yes. And I don't quite know how to explain to you that when he looked at me and said, yes, that, that one word answer was an act of boldness that liberated Nathan to really step out as Nathan. And all week long, while we conducted our VBS program, Nathan worked with the other kids here, taught the other kids here, led sporting activities with the other kids here, and really stepped fully into what it meant for him to be Nathan. Everybody here called him Nathan. Nobody who was here in that program knew Nathan as anything but the young teenage boy who was working with us and helping us in those programs. It was really amazing to see that moment of boldness and courage where before there had been fear and timidity and anxiety. This then, I think, really opens us up to the second answer to our question, what does it mean for us to be spiritual? I think the second answer to that question is to be spiritual means that we gain the courage to overcome the fear that keeps people from being honest and healthy and whole. And I think that is a huge problem in our lives and in our society. People learning to just be honest and straightforward and lean into what it means for them to be healthy, whole, genuine and transparent human beings, fully loved and fully accepted in their community. When that happens, no matter who that happens to, that I think is a work of the Spirit of God. And I think that's what it means partly to be spiritual. Now we see this, I think, played out again in this chapter, much like we did at the end of chapter 2. If you'll look back with me at verse 32, I want to read something to you that should sound very familiar because the question, of course, is if this is what it means for the Spirit of God to come, that, that we overcome our fears and we become courageous and bold, then what does that lead to and how do we know that that was the Spirit of God at work? The answer here, I think, is beginning in verse 32. It says this, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now that ought to sound very familiar to you because that almost exact same scenario is pictured at the end of Acts chapter 2, which we read last week. 
again, what we see happening here is that the Spirit of God comes to human beings. That Spirit fills and empowers people with a new sense of divine energy and purpose, and in this case, a new sense of courage to step out and to overcome all those fears and threats that are keeping us from living healthy and whole and good and, tr and righteous and true lives. And the outcome of that is a radically changed social order. We know that the Spirit of God has moved upon us when we come together to provide each other with what we need in order to live good lives. And, and I know that that sounds very concrete and very materialistic even. I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm not talking about uh, petty desires or consumer needs. I'm talking about people being fed when they're hungry, people being clothed when they are naked, people being housed when they are homeless. We know that the Spirit of God has been moving in us because the fears that we learn to overcome are the fears that keep people living oppressed lives under the, the thumb of those who would take advantage of them and have their basic needs denied. This then is what we are pressing towards. Our spirituality in this church is not about having good feelings about some abstract God. Rather, it is about a real God meeting us, filling us with courage and boldness so that we can have an impact on the world for good. That is a spirituality that I can get behind. My question for you today is, how is the Spirit of God giving you courage and boldness to overcome the threats and the intimidation and the fears that are keeping you from becoming the whole and healthy person that God has designed you to be. That's all I have for you today. I want to ask that you would just close with me with a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you again for this text and how you are challenging us and inspiring us with it. We ask that you would bless us as we chew on these words and on these thoughts and that you would inspire us to see our own lessons in this text and be filled to overcome our own fears and be united together around a common purpose for the common good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, welcome to another Sunday at Oceanside Sanctuary. I'm Anthony. Before you guys head off, we got some quick announcements for you. Look, guys, we're back every single Sunday at 11 o'clock, Oceanside Sanctuary, be there. We're open, baby, forget the pandemic. Every Sunday, in face, hug another person, we're there. Number one announcement, we have a QR code now. Very cool, at the bottom, you can scan it, you can find everything that we're doing at Oceanside Sanctuary. New people, if you are willing to connect with us, oceansidesanctuary.org slash connect, it's great. We want new people, we want you to join our ministry. Every single Thursday, building with the band. 5.30 to 7, you're going to be with Joey Pearsons. He's going to teach you about guitar, drums, all that good stuff like that. It's not for me, because I'm not a musician. But you should guys should join if you are in the music. Next announcement, Roots Class. June 9th, June 16th, June 23rd at 6.30. This is how you learn about the values of the church. Osage Sanctuary is an amazing place. So I hope you guys really connect with us. Follow the website below. 
osightsensewear.org slash calendar. Parent meeting for six or eight and under. June 10th at 6.30, you're gonna meet with Janelle. This is for the parents. We talk to you about the kids. We'll open up our ministry for the kids and the youth. So please be there, meet with Janelle. She's a cool lady. And our last one, but not least, Oceanside Sanctuary is a nonprofit organization. We would like to help with your gifts. Whatever you have to give, we need it, you need it. That website is osidecentuary.org slash give. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of the service. I'm Anthony, by the way. Have a good day.